a rich field for discovery. So, any questions about the meditation? Completely self-explanatory. <laughs> I have a question. Yeah. I have a tendency of my right foot falling asleep, um, and I was told it's okay to move slowly out of it. Does that break up our meditation, or should we just deal with it? You know, if you notice mindfully that your foot's fallen asleep, then you mindfully feel the sensation, you mindfully move your foot, feel the change of sensation, shifting of sensation, I'd say your meditation's going on well. Nothing lost and uh, everything gained. I felt like I could have stayed mm. in the same position, but yes. I got a little scared and just moved it because oh. it was hurting so bad. Because mm. I didn't want to break the meditation. Yes. This is the thing to understand for ourselves what is like pushing ourselves too hard. We don't want to be too loose and be like anything that arises, like every little itch we have to scratch it and any little pain we have to shift and move and shift and move and, you know, those things are endless, yes? Well, actually they do calm down after a while, especially if we don't feel like we need to really move for every little thing, but we notice it, we notice it. We notice it rise, we notice it change, we notice it pass, and move to something else. And you know, from the left elbow to the right elbow, to the nose, to the top of the head, to the itch in the ankle, and this kind of thing. <laughs> kind of like a, what is it, days of our lives or something. <laughs> Every moment a new storyline. <laughs> or same old, same old. <laughs> Recycled in new name, new form. Um, so I don't think you should feel like you have to move for every little thing, but also don't want to be too tough. Don't want to be hurting yourself. Okay, so there's the way that we can be. I know having been a super macho meditator in the past, you may not be able to tell now, but like I like to sit up and like stay up meditating all night long, not going to lie down, bow hundreds of thousands of times, walk long distances, do fasting, these kinds of things. I was just crazy for this stuff. <laughs> a lot of good it did me. <laughs> I'm actually not going to recommend all that <laughs> as the Buddha also I mean his like a kind of austerities I think I I mean I didn't get to the point of fasting where I was so emaciated that my hair was rotting and falling out or that birds had nested in my you know <laughs> dreadlocks or this kind of thing I didn't didn't get to that point but you know that like the Buddha did that and then said afterwards in his first teaching which um, we may have had an anniversary of this past full moon maybe like 2600 or 20, 2601 since, mm -hmm. since that first teaching and said basically you know this way of self-modification <laughs> didn't work <laughs> and the way of trying to find happiness through the sensual pleasures of you know just seeking kind of like a hedonistic lifestyle mm -hmm. also for what I was deeply seeking for didn't work but I found something in between it does. And he called that the middle, right? And um, middle path, middle way. 
And in a way, it's much easier, you know, uh, at least for me as a young person, I learned to go to extremes. <laughs> Going to extremes is easy for me. Can do, no problem. <laughs> too tight, too loose. Yes, easy, can do. One to the other, yes, can alternate. Um, and it's like uh, back and forth between them. But to find that middle, to find that middle ground, it's like the, the, kind of the, the zone that's not too tight, not too loose, where you're aware and relaxed together. And you know, where you're, where you're being present and you are, you are being patient, you're practicing ongoing mindfulness, not moving for every little thing, but you don't have the mind that's like you're going to kill yourself doing this, which means like, I'm going to stick it out in, in less, I mean, even if it kills me or something like that, right? And so I've, I've had that kind of mind and even thought, oh, it's like really admirable and others, you know, very cool and like going to sit till they die and, and, and this kind of thing. And in a way, yes, fantastic to be so dedicated, but if you're going to practice the middle way, that doesn't mean hurting yourself. That's not what it means. It means when you're, when you're impatient or when your mind is that the habits of grasping after something or wanting to eradicate it or that arises, you're, you're, you're there with it and you, you don't have to move for that, but it doesn't mean hurting yourself. Yeah. So this is really kind of, for me, this is a very big and radical thing. Still, even getting a sense of what that, what that middle is and like deepening and deepening and I still feel, oh, it's like still deepening and it just seems, the more it deepens, it just seems to be like more and more vast, more and more incredible in a way. It's like such a profound thing. It is so extremely different because our whole society is geared to like hype, it's super hype. <laughs> and and then going, going the opposite, and you know, moving, moving between the extremes, from one extreme to the other. And so, it's like I think about being a younger person before entering into monastic life. When, uh, you know, monastics are not supposed to drink. Yes, precepts about that. I think it's being a younger person, than like between caffeine and alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> to wake myself up and calm myself down. <laughs> uh, and you put those two together and you're just fried in the middle, right? <laughs> uh, I, I accidentally, I had taken Benadryl for an allergy and then, then drank some coffee together with it and then I remembered what that, what that bad middle is. <laughs> no, this is sick. <laughs> oh, no. No, this feels really bad. This is not healthy. This is very different. Very, very different. It's not, not, not taking the qualities of those two extremes together, like, what is it, like, like Benadryl and, and alcohol together, or Benadryl, and um, caffeine. Um, but really the opposite. It's like the calm of the relaxation and the, the awareness of the, of the heightened alertness and then really really bringing like this posture here really bringing those two qualities together so they're right right there together and you know, we can we can if you look at kids 
human beings, we're born with this. We're born with this. It's natural in us. Our bodies and minds are actually made for this. Yes? It's just, you know, we have this naturally as kids and then we learn other things by the example of the people around us and, uh, you know, various circumstances and then it's like this this incredible natural quality that we have that the Buddha touched back into after all that asceticism. He ended up remembering a time he was sitting under a tree as an eight-year-old when he became just completely aware, alert, present, and felt the body and the breath and became still with complete, deep, deep awareness where those qualities were naturally present and just being a child sitting under the tree and remembering that, that was the key insight for moving out of that torturing himself, even though it's religiously torturing himself, it's excellent, right? Um, I mean, I don't mean so, but I mean, still, still there are those who think so. And I've had my own time thinking so, so I don't want to be too hard on that. Uh, there's a lot in this world that says that's a, fan that's a great thing to do, that's excellent. Um, but it was that insight that was then the key uh, to his big awakening, yes? And so, like, if we'd like to really benefit from that, that's where to aim, aim our mind. So I'd say, you know, if I tell you something, then maybe you don't develop your own wisdom about it, right? I'd say develop your own wisdom about it. Aim for not too tight, not too loose, and then check in with yourself and be honest, to be honest. And if you see any other, any other tendencies to hurting yourself in one way or another, by too tight or too loose, you know, sloughing off on something that's really important to us is a way of disrespecting ourselves. It's actually, it's a way of, of hurting ourselves, yeah? Uh, not, not supporting ourselves being too tight, the same on the other end of the spectrum, right? So aim between, aim between those two, and if it seems like a fine line at first, then be right there on that fine line. But what I find is being with that fine line, it's like a little keyhole or something, you look through it and then, oh, there's a big room in here. You take down the walls and wow, there's a big world. <laughs> And you start to look outside and out beyond the stars, and wow, this is an immense universe. And that fine line becomes like that. You know, it's opening up a whole, a whole world that is deep and broad and vast, and in which nothing, nothing at all is excluded. Yeah? So I would say work that for yourself, and just try to be honest, be kind, and, and aim, aim for the middle. And you'll develop your own wisdom in that, through, through your own experience. And that's more precious than anything that anybody else can tell you, is knowing, knowing how to do that yourself and, and doing that, yes? Because good advice is good, and yes, I think when we good at, get good advice, it, it is good to follow it. <laughs> but to be able to touch into ourself, that the Buddha said that if we have a difficult decision to make or if we really want to know something, uh, three places to check. Check with who we think is wise. Uh, other wisdom resources. 
means who we think is wise, like a live person. Other wisdom resource can be text or whatever. And check in with your own knowing, your own honest knowing about that. So those, those three, not to, not to exclude each other. Yeah? Yeah. Any more questions? I've only been started seriously meditating for about a couple of months, and mm-hmm. I've noticed as I've gotten into it, I felt sort of this uh, physical and emotional tightness right here around the heart region. Mm-hmm. you have any idea what that could be? And if so, mm-hmm. should I just sort of be aware of it, or should I try and look into it and see what's causing it? Mm-hmm. So, very common when we meditate. Uh, I think probably just about everybody will notice if, if you go over the body, if you sense into the body, if you're aware of the body, you'll notice tightness and tension somewhere, if not a whole bunch of places. Sometimes, you know, <laughs> there are the times when, when I have sat down and like after a great ordeal to get onto a train or something and sat down and touched into the body and realized, wow, I am tense from head to toe. (laughs) And then looked in, is there anywhere that's not tense? Is there anywhere that's not tight from this, you know, just from the, like, going to miss the train and (laughs) this kind of thing, yeah? And actually, normally there is somewhere that's not tight. (laughs) Somewhere it's hard, sometimes it's hard to find. Uh, But, you know, seeing, seeing where the tightness is. And if, if you can, number one, just knowing that that's tightness and developing this, this attitude of not necessarily needing to fix or change or, or make anything be any different than it is, but just, just knowing it for what it is. And in, in a moment, and then also not letting our mind freeze up on a particular perception, but then seeing, okay, and now, and now, and now, and what's going on around around that space, and what's going on in the rest of the body. And I have uh, chronic back pain. I fell down the mountainside four years ago and messed up my neck, messed up my low back, right knee, big time. For a little while I need some, needed somebody to help when I was lying down helped pick me up to be able to sit up. And it really, really hurt. Sometimes it, it hurt really, really bad. <laughs> and sometimes it hurt really, really, really bad. And uh, um, now I feel, oh, maybe down to, like like the physical therapist says, down to about 3%. You know, not, not so much, yes? But like looking, looking into that, you asked about looking into it. And I got advice from a teacher about, about going to the place of pain and not trying to make it be anything other than it was, not trying to escape it. Sometimes people will say, you know, don't look there. Look at a place that isn't hurting. And that, that's good to do. That's good to be able to move your mind from one place to the other and to feel into the, all the places that aren't hurting. It's like my right pinky finger is not hurting. It's not hurting at all. <laughs> and to really to, to feel that and know that and then the kind of perception changes and then then when that's shifted, when that's changed, then to come back again to the place of pain. 
something that's really useful is what kind of mind you bring to, to the perception. I've found it really useful not only to bring mindfulness, but also kindness. So I will sometimes then move away from that place and really generate a mind of loving kindness, care, compassion. The kind of feeling that I have if I'm holding a small, delicate baby animal, or this, this kind of thing, what, you know, whatever the image might be for you. And feel that, that gentleness and that, you know, you, you don't want to drop the animal, right? You also can't hold too tight or you'll, you'll hurt, yeah? So it's like, like with this, same thing. That, that kind of mind then, uh, the really, you know, kind of gentle, gentle and kind awareness. And then taking that mind and really consciously bringing it to that place where there's pain, where there's tightness. And just, in a way, you're not really using physical hands, but sometimes you can use your hands. It's like you can, like I've just made this example, and that's one where you can actually use your physical hands. And then with that feeling in your hands, then bring that to that place of, uh, of pain and feel what that, what that feels like and just, just what happens and not expecting it to be anything particular but just seeing, just seeing what happens, yeah? And being willing to do that again and again, yes? Sometimes it's our shoulders, sometimes it's our jaw, sometimes it's our belly, sometimes it may be the low back, you know, these places are there. Sometimes people, what is it, in the hips, can be held, held in the hips. Often our experiences, you know, we have an experience with someone with something, sometimes many things over time, and we take them into our body in particular places, and then hold them in those places in the body. There's the back of the neck, and the head, and the jaws, and the, you know, by the sides of the eyes, wherever it may be, and held there. So this is, this is a holding pattern. And we have these systems built in that if we're not, if we don't know how to care for something well at the time it happens, then to hold that until we are able to bring that care to it. So this is something with these skills, with your, your meditation skills that you're developing, part of that is uh, but learning how to bring how to bring such care, yeah, and so then when we bring the needed care to that situation, for me I found when I started practicing mindfulness of the body, I found there are a lot of stories locked up in different places. He said this and she said that and this happened and that happened. All of the sometimes layers and layers of them. Yes, for the belly, for the heart. Now, various places, yeah? We, we all have our, we may have our spots that are our special, special storage spots, yeah? And this body is like a city in a way, and it, it has its, what is, what, what's the name of the storage company? Safe keep. What? Safe keep. Safe keep, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we have our spots that are in our city of the body. We have our, 
our safe keep storage spots, yes? <laughs> Except for you, if you put any toxic waste in safe keeps, <laughs> so you have to be really careful, careful about what we store and how we store it. So it's good to, good when you're practicing mindfulness of the body, this pattern of storing, taking on and storing things, you start to become aware of that. And if anything is, if you're practicing meditation daily, if you daily practice anything has happened during the day that you've taken in in that kind of way, that's a time also that you can feel and see and know that. And if it's toxic, you can choose not to keep that, you know, as part, as part of your body and mind. You can make that choice. Choose to transform it also. If it's something that needed kindness and kindness wasn't brought to it in those moments, you can. You can bring kindness to it later. If it's something that just needed knowing, it's like you were too busy, or it was too hard, or you weren't ready, or that kind of thing, sometimes just just knowing is the only thing that's needed. There are things that somehow didn't, weren't able to be seen, weren't able to be heard, weren't able to be known at the time, but we bring that to them later, and that works. And that's completely okay to do because as we gain our, our resources, our skills, our abilities with this, you know, as, as we gain in our body and mind being a space that is safe and, and able uh, to do this work, then that's, that's the time that we can begin to go to these places and to bring the kindness, to bring the compassion, to bring the knowing that may not have been there earlier, and whether that's earlier today, or whether that's earlier 10 years ago, or 20 years ago, or however long, or things that, like, we can't even see when it was. But still, still to be able to bring what qualities are, are needed, what, what wasn't able to be done at that time in the past, and to bring that now. Sometimes we don't even need to know what it was, but it's just like, what's needed here? What, what, what is holding this? And knowing what that is, then bringing the, the quality of, uh, of care that's called for, that it, it is calling for, that it, it's there in that holding pattern waiting for. Yeah? So, don't know if that answers or not. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm. So, There is something I was asked to speak about tonight before coming. What do you think? Think I should give it a go? <laughs> is there any time left for it? <laughs> about, about 25 minutes. I can just, you know, <coughs> Q&A is for me. Because <laughs> that's with where you're at right now, where, right? Where, yeah. And um, so I... Uh, I, I really like, sometimes I like just the, the, the Dhamma talk is just, just from the Q&A sometimes, but I'm, I'm happy to talk about what was, uh, what was mentioned before. Yes. Well, I have one that's kind of a bridge, maybe. Yes. And that's what you were talking about, um, the places where we stored something or yeah. didn't attend to it rightly at the time, and then it kind of ripples forward, and mm. we're feeling it now. How is that, karma and rebirth? Yeah! <laughs> 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 That's the connection. 
I'm listening to what, what Lulu is just saying, and I was thinking, that is karma in reverse. <laughs> there you go, there you have it. Uh, karma means action. Okay? Uh, and yet, action is not something that is just uh, like fixed in time. There is no, in our lives, there is no real freeze frame. Even memory is not like that. You know, it might seem like our memories of things are just 100% accurate, <laughs> but in fact, it's amazing how they can change over time. <laughs> really amazing. And that change, even for memory, you know, memory would be like of, we think, it's of something that happened in the past. Yes? And then we're replaying, replaying that pattern uh, in the present, yes? Except for it gets changed by the things that happened between then and now. And that's really very much, I mean, that's just that's the way karma works. And it's also, in a way, that's about no self. And the Buddha's teaching on no self means no individual thing has a a particular identity that's forever, that isn't influenced by other things, that isn't influenced by other conditions. So it's like that memory, this thing happened in the past, and we have a memory of it. And then there are other things that happened, and those things change that memory. And then there are more things that happen, and those things change that memory too, and that memory gets linked up to other things, and you know, and so it's like it doesn't have any fixed identity anywhere. And that's just part of us. Like memory is part of what we call ourself. You say, I remember, this is my memory. And what do you remember? Well, this is my memory of what happened, right? And so this is one of the things that we think would be a component of our own identity. We see how, you know, how impermanent it is, how, how it's made up of so many things, like all the other components of uh, of what we call our identity, yes? And um, why I thought about rebirth with this is because in a way when it's like there's this, there's this pattern from action that happened in the past and that pattern has continued in a particular, particular way. It's been stored in, in a particular way which with all of our fantastic modern science we don't completely understand yet how we're able to do that. Like, what is the difference between mind and brain? Where is memory kept? You know, is it in the head? Is it in the body in various places? Is it in the cloud? You know, do we have our own cloud? Is our cloud and the cloud the same cloud? Or a different cloud? Or many different interpenetrating clouds? Or <laughs> so we're really still really very much in the process of um, discovering about the reality of our existence, the reality of these bodies and minds and our lives and how all of these things work. And, you know, we're just, in a way, uh, living at the cutting edge of discovery of, of what this is, yes? And yet that also, it's not fixed anywhere. That's a movement, an evolving, evolving movement, a flow that has so many so many flows coming into it that are that are informing, yes, and changing moment by moment by moment, and that's becoming, yes. So in a way, when we remember something, it's like a kind of rebirth. 
means there's this pattern from the past and something happens that sparks it. Physical, mental, emotional. The circumstances come together where it gets sparked. And then that pattern remanifests in a way. Although it's not going to be the same as it was in the past, there's going to be some similarity. It will bear some similarity. It can be recognized as a memory of, you know, connected to something else in the past, not the same anymore. And this is how I personally see, like, the idea, the idea of reincarnation. People ask, well, if, if you say no self in Buddhism, then what is it that's reincarnated? And is it the same person or a different person? Or this kind of thing. And I'd like to like to take that that kind of example, at least as I understand what the what the Buddha taught about this. It means not the same person, not different person. Like the memory. It's associated. There is a close association. Yes? It is possible to identify the two with each other, and yet it's not the same thing. At the time that it gets sparked, it's sparked under a unique set of conditions that have never happened before. Yeah? And it is its own unique becoming. It's like a kind of birth, in a way. In fact, for birth, and for becoming, for death. When we see rising and falling, even of a single breath, in a way that one cycle of breath is like birth and death, and the next breath is like a reincarnation. Yes? It might seem like just one breath is just the same as another breath. Same old, same old this kind of thing, but if you touch into the breath deeply, this is one of the incredible, amazing things that you find if you really spend a lot of time with the breath. Each breath, each part of the breath is unique. It has never been that way before, and it will never be that way again. It is an incredibly unique set of circumstances and conditions coming together, a unique experience in the moment. <clears throat> and when we touch into that deeply, it's practically miraculous. And that's like becoming really completely present. Yes? So, when I look at the physical world, I see similar kinds of patterns happening on the microcosmic and the macrocosmic level and everything in between. And size is relative. You know? It's, it's completely relative. It's like, in a way, we think this universe is really big. As far as I know, it's within something much bigger. We think our galaxy is really big within the universe. We think our world is really big, very vast, very expensive, way bigger than California. <laughs> <laughs> way bigger than San Jose, yes? And then there's this room, and then there are these bodies, and this body has, do you know how many forms of life within it, living within it? Colonies and colonies of various forms of life that are all working together. It is a universe of its own. It's incredible. 
and you get down to the cellular level, and each one of those cells, like if you spend deep, deep time with insight, insight, looking into the body, mindfulness of the body, each one of those cells, in fact, in a way, has its own kind of sense of individual identity and communal identity. And those cells may go to war with other kinds of cells that they think are the enemy, and they may have the ones that they like, that they're cozy with, <laughs> and, and they respond to the environment that they're in, just like us. It's like environment of kindness, happy cells are there, and you have anger happening, and, you know, and the cells are like, we're going to kill each other. And <laughs> it happens, you know? It happens like that. And then you look down inside them more deeply, and you see, wow, there are all these other kind of things that are moving around there. And then there's this space. How much space is there? Enormous space, far more space than anything physical, than any of the particles of matter. There's this space and energetic field that's there. Yes? So big and small, you see these same kind of, same kind of, like all of us, if we were little cells and here we are, no, we're little, what is it, protons, and we're inside a cell together. <laughs> that cell is this room, and then this room is just one, like this building, this, this house is just one cell amongst many cells that are within the organ of San Jose. And, um, so I see similar kinds of patterns happening in the physical world, in the big and the small, yeah? And also with like these patterns of rise and fall, coming into being again, you see that also with the emotions, also with memory, with fantasy, with thinking, what else? What else is there? Desire. Feeling, desire, yes. Dreaming. Dreaming, sure. All of these things, how they, how they rise, and they have their lifetime, and then they pass. Yes? Corporations? Huh? Corporations, sure. <laughs> Some not soon enough. Yes? Yes, corporate identity. Corporate identity is a very, very financially lucrative <laughs> thing in this area, right? Legally, <laughs> so legally is accepted and is a being. Right, right, sure. It can make financial legally, transactions. Yes. No. It's a body. Yeah, a legal entity. It grows, it dies, <laughs> it spins off children. Yes. So this is the thing. Now, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and sometimes other things as well. <laughs> what is she talking about? What is she thinking about? Um, so, uh, I'm not sure about you during this last meditation time, but many people experience at some stage in their meditation that they may be able to see feelings rise and pass, and it might look like they're arising out of the vast blackness, and then they become apparent, and they have their life cycle, and then they pass again into the vast ocean of being. Something like that. And the same with thoughts and memories, and all these kinds of things of the mind, yes? So many of you, if you haven't already had such experience, might have this experience at, at some time, really looking at the rising and passing of physical sensations, of emotion, uh, 
of the objects of mind that we're talking about, whether you know of, of the rising of a desire or the rising of a memory or a dream or a fantasy or our super plan for tomorrow or whatever, whatever, whatever that may be. Yes? And some of you may have had the experience or may, um, may have the experience at some time of that vast dark ocean that things seem to arise out of and then disappear into, of that starting to become lighter and not so dark anymore. And seeing then just continuum of causation. And so that doesn't any longer look like there's anything arising out of nothing and disappearing into nothing, because that's become lighter. And we started, like, um, when I was in university, then we were studying this. We <laughs> there was this class where in the book, in the textbook, there was this box, this diagram, and uh, black and white, and it had two lines in it like this. And the, the upper box was for our conscious mind. And then there was our subconscious, and then there was our unconscious. This is a framework, right? Theoretical framework. Okay? So, when we consciously allow ourselves to see and know what's going on in this rising and passing process, what happens is we lower the bar. Already this evening, in what you did this evening, during that period of time, you lowered the bar. What was subconscious or unconscious during that time became conscious with your full mindfulness and your full awareness and you saw and you knew that and it wasn't just happening underneath unseen unknown but you saw and you knew it it was conscious you were aware yes and as you deepen your meditation practice that bar lowers further still so things that previously had been subconscious or unconscious patterns habits you know, desires, various kinds of things like this, they start to come into this sphere of seeing and knowing. They actually transform. Because, like, the things that happen in the darkness and the things that happen in the light <laughs> may sometimes be different. <laughs> yes? And in terms of not knowing or ignorance, and knowing or mindful awareness, this is definitely true. There are many kinds of patterns that there may, might be in us that are being perpetuated under that line. It means in the domain of ignorance, informed by ignorance, within the realm of, of ignorance. As we lower that bar, those things if they were sustained by not knowing or by misunderstandings, that changes just by the knowing. That shifts and changes and it transforms into something else. Yes? It's not the same anymore. So it's like there are a lot of kinds of patterns that just coming into awareness can no longer sustain themselves. And there are other kinds of patterns which might tend to be the ones that might be better to perpetuate, that really it's like they need awareness in order to live, in order to develop, in order to grow. 
those ones I would say in general I found for myself those ones serve me better my own best interests my own deep interest in being okay peaceful comfortable happy uh, you know these kind of underlying programs for suffering they they don't sustain in the same way. Yeah? They just can't sustain in the same way. They feed on ignorance. They breed in ignorance. Yes? So we lower, we lower that bar. Now, let me bring this diagram, uh, this theoretical diagram now to birth and death. So we've talked about like the arising of a breath and its fall being like birth and death, or the arising of a memory, being like birth and death in this way, about large, small, similar kinds of patterns happening. Yes? So, and about this sphere of seeing, the sphere of what we don't see. We talked about what maybe many of our experience in meditation, seeing, seeing this kind of thing, for most of us also, at least at some time in our lives, we may also look at birth and death in terms of human life in this kind of way. That is, arising out of something mysterious that we don't see, don't know, and then disappearing into something mysterious that we don't see, don't know. Like a life cycle, like that, yes? And if we talk about birth and death, if we start to look at it, then it's like actually we know a life before birth. Right? But then from when? Oh, hot topic. Right? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of controversy. <laughs> when does life arise? You would think human beings being around for more than a million years, how many, like six million years, or how long? I'm not sure <laughs> that we would have an idea. I mean, I, I just think, just entertaining myself, I think, oh, we've been around an awful long time to not have an idea about when life arises, <laughs> or when it ends, really. So this is another funny thing. You know, a friend who studied Chinese medicine said, you know, Western medicine, they sign your death certificate when your pulse stops and you stop breathing. But then there's the pulse of the heart, then there's also the pulse of the kidneys, there's the pulse of the liver, there's the pulse of all of these other organs which actually go on a longer time. They don't all stop at the same time. So then what are you going to say about that? I was there when my grandma passed away together with her. She had a pacemaker in. This part was so creepy to me, because clearly there was the time when I sensed very, very clearly she has died. She was perceptive and with us, and then, and she's gone, yes? But pacemaker, still going thump, 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 thump. And the chart next to the bed as well. Thump, 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 is going dun 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 like this, and right? Dead or not dead? <laughs> and then her doctor was out of town, and the other doctor couldn't come in, and it's like, when, 
this thing, it took many, many hours for the death certificate to be signed, yes? Like, when she actually died, I felt I could say about that. But it's like that moment was before the body was completely dead. The body is still warm. There are these other, not only the heart, but other pulses going on and things like that. Another kind of teaching on non-self. So which part is the self? You'd say at that moment, oh, definitely the body is not self. What is? Right? What is it that changed? What happened? What was it that we thought was definitely, you know, her eyes are like seeing, perception, this kind of seeing, knowing, feeling that associated, associated with life. And yet, as we get to know seeing and knowing really well, we understand also. It is in flow. It is in flux. It's something that can become stronger, can become less, not happening all the time. We, have, we can be out of it. <laughs> so also not a final, absolute something that is I, forever, undelineable. Okay? But also something that comes into being according to causes and conditions. And also has its, has its passing, has its change. So, I had a near-death experience at age 15 uh, and looked to other people like dead. My own sense was, and very classical as I learned afterwards, like consciousness having risen above the body, looking down on the body, light above, feeling very light because, you know, body was sick, heavy, it's like, oh kind of being released from prison or something and and that kind of thing and so then I would say from that experience really clearly and surely okay my sense of awareness did not stop with what would be considered clinical death it was no death at all it was just you know like looking through the eyes and then looking from up above and looking down. And that time, cool, got to see through walls. <laughs> I got to see my sister coming down, like coming in from the outside and this kind of thing. Oh, interesting, why is that? Why, why like that can you see through walls? <laughs> this is funny. Uh, but kind of, kind of cool at the moment. Uh, it's like, oh, we can do that. Uh, so, line of death? Not really. The when does it begin? When does it end? Can greater awareness be brought to the whole process? So there are those who think that they've done that. Seen it through much more deeply. And been able to see like the connectivity between a memory of the past and a memory being sparked in the present. Been able to see, oh, say, I was, but not really. That other person, with connection, was such and such in the past, and such and such and such and such, but not the same thing. Yes? Ah. So, I think about now our delight in, uh, in copying things in the E world, or the I world. 
and like cut and paste. And let me ask you a question. When you cut and paste something and you send it to somebody else, is it actually the same, virtually identical, as, as what it was before? No. The IP address immediately is different. <laughs> Why is it when you cut and paste something sometimes and somebody else gets it, it's all scrambled? <laughs> I don't know what you just said. <laughs> so, yes, Rick? Oh, I just wonder if it had something to do with uh, the intention, though. Yes. Behind mm. the intention of the, per the sender. Yes. Trying to communicate something that isn't exactly... There are all these really interesting aspects to this. You know, we're playing with technology that we largely don't understand, I think. It's a whole bunch of different electrons drawing it. And, yes, she knows something about these things. Excuse me for saying we don't understand. Each of us may understand some part in a way, yes? Uh, but like similar similar patterns, yeah. <laughs> uh, how? A great uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, thinking again. <laughs> the rising and passing of phenomena. <laughs> Thinking, thinking. Sound, ear consciousness. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> Birth and death. There you no. go. Momentary. Just for a moment and it was gone. Uh, no self. Who was it that was floating above the bed? Like, like a flash of light. <laughs> right. <laughs> Feeling, perception, consciousness. <laughs> um, yes. So, I think about, like, for, for example, like the Buddhist idea about uh, about there being three factors coming together for life to happen in the womb or in a dish. Or, uh, and we look at the Buddhist text and it says like that there's the cells from the mom and the cells from the dad plus consciousness. Those three come together. And zing! Yes? <laughs> you can actually see this on the internet. <laughs> so for the consciousness part, it's not really clear. <laughs> doesn't happen, yes. Um, so the, the spark, right? Um, now, there is the spark part also in each of the other components. That it's like these, when they, when they meet each other, that is a, a really dynamized happening, yes? I think about theories of the Big Bang. If you, if you look at this, this on YouTube, it's <laughs> kind of like that. <laughs> um, but uh, Buddhist, Buddhist teaching about this um, is... Uh, not really, there's graphics in this kind of thing. <laughs> it shows a flash of light. And, um, Sperm meets ovum. Is there magic, or is there? <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to speak more general. <laughs> um, anyway, this is cool. The kind of the, the kind of 
flash, yeah, the kind of spark. But then I think about our electronics and I think about being able to upload and download information and think about that in relationship to birth and death. And it seems to me just from experience in a way that it's like, okay, some parts seemed like they were getting uploaded. It means they were associated with the physical body in this kind of way. And uh, of course in meditation sometimes we may see these parts separate uh, from, from one another. And it happens to some meditators sometimes not that it should happen or has to happen. It happens sometimes also that we may like see the body from outside or from above or we have this kind of feeling of being able to move or, or this kind of thing. Uh, might happen sometime. Not needed for the benefits of meditation for, for you to realize that, like I would say, the, the most excellent benefits of meditation. It's not necessary to have that kind of experience, but might happen sometime. Um, so, also, then I was thinking about this part. Now, I've been with people dying quite a bit, but I haven't been with people at the time of conception quite a bit. <laughs> and <laughs> so, my, I've really been interested in observing what happens with the dying process and learned a lot from that, really learned a lot from that. And even later, at the time of memorial services and like being with the body in hours after passing away and kind of variety of experiences that may be there. And I would actually, you know, really highly recommend that. Not something I would say, don't, don't lock that behind a closed casket and closed doors and you know, the curtains on the hearse and then the tinted glass and then you have these what is it, bolts on it that look like they're for what? <laughs> in, in case the Christian Dawn of the Dead is true or something, and it's like, <laughs> you can't come out. <laughs> You're securely locked in there. <laughs> I found it really, really useful and valuable to be with. <laughs> and I think that there's probably a lot that could be learned from observing what's going on on the other end too, but would be risque as a Buddhist monastic to be there. IVF lab. I don't know what that is. An in vitro fertilization laboratory. Oh, cool. Yes. I'd like to go and see what's going on. Just to, just to see and, and to observe. Because when we develop this quality of observation and not just, you know, Pasting our perceptions means the prefab onto people and onto our experience and onto things. And we start looking at what's, you know, attune our mind to seeing and being with what's actually going on. That is far more incredible. I object to the Matrix. I don't think it was a Buddhist movie. Um, people said, you have to see this. This is a Buddhist movie. <laughs> The, the, the reality is like far more scary or this kind of thing or so so dark or, or like that. I feel like at least in my, now I've been in monastic life nearly 25 years. I've been with this practice for a little while now. And uh, I feel like just the opposite. Mm -hmm. It's like the, the stuff pasted on top is deadening. Mm -hmm. And you start taking that off and what is underneath is fresh and alive and beautiful. And it is fantastic beyond words. So I would say, see what you can see. See what you can see and know. Huh? 
uh, life as an exploration is like <laughs> fantastically worth living. Yes. Um, I was just going to say instead yes. of the from the matrix. I mean, the, what I just heard you say is instead yes. of the dystopia of the story, just to yes. flip that on its head, yes. the concept is the same, but it's the yes. euphoria of, yes. the, of what's underneath. Yes. Actually, sometimes the, we the have to get through, though we, sometimes we need to get through the, it's like what's pasted on top is meant to look nice. Um, and then you get to stuff underneath, and yes, there is a lot of suffering. There is an incredible amount of suffering. It's really true. You know, greed and craving and aversion and all of this stuff. And I think it's like being willing to see and know that and look at that and then look through that. It's like at the first noble truth. That one does actually facilitate the seeing and knowing of, of the others. You know, it's really, it's a, well, for path, it's a part of it. Yes? But I mean for the other for the other two, uh, to understand causation and see cessation. I mean, see the end, see the ending of that also. Like, it's, it's not just that's the end of the story. There is a lot, a lot more than that, but that is a really important part of it. So I don't mean it's like just, you know, you, you take that off and it's all just love and light underneath all the time. Definitely not, yes? But it's that courage, that bravery to look into what is there and see it and know it for what it is that, like, changes it. We need to end. Let us end it. Sadhu, sadhu, so uh, we're coming towards the end of uh, this portion of the evening. I just want to make a couple quick announcements, and then we're, we'd like to ask uh, Stephanie to take us out with a meta and dedication, if you would be so yes, willing. So just so you know, um, first of all, uh, any of the, the <coughs> dana that is offered th this evening will go directly to support... Um, the uh, the bhikkhunis and the hermitage as well. So just you know, just to know that that uh, none of the dana that will be collected tonight will be uh, will will be taking. I won't take any of it, but <laughs> we'll be offering to um, the benefit of uh, of the, the hermitage and for anything you might need. You know that, that kind of thing. And there will be a couple cards that are by the Donna basket with information about Donna Journey. If yeah. anyone wants to make it easy to go look it up later, yeah. mm -hmm. so I'll be there. Grab them. Yeah. You get new cards. And then also, <laughs> yeah. And then also, somebody's done. You know, somebody, somebody right. said, want to, want to make you some nicer cards. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, and then also, just to say uh, that Lulu, as a contact person. Um, if you're ever wanting to provide some kind of service or go up, you know, I know Lu uh, Lulu and her partner go up quite often, so yes. uh, just to think about it that way and maybe like kind of offline once we're done, if you want to go speak with Lulu, then that would be a good thing to do. This is a forest hermitage, off-grid forest hermitage on the Sonoma Coast. Can I just add one thing? 
So the, the generosity of the teachings are priceless. And uh, the, the uh, way that our monastics live is completely off of the generosity of uh, what we offer them. And so that means everything from their robes to their shoes to their toothpaste to their meals. And so really anything that your heart feels moved to give is of total benefit to supporting this really important aspect of our living, <coughs> this very important other aspect of our, our uh, sangha, our, our, uh, we call this a, a four corners, right. right? So we have female monastics and female lay people, male monastics, male lay people, and we're very, uh, very lucky to be in this, and trust me, very lucky. I after living in a year and a half in Ohio, have yet to see one monastic wandering <laughs> through town to have this so accessible to you. So I encourage you to uh, to give to a point where your heart feels moved, um, so that we can really support their wise livelihood and wise teachings. For us, this is a really big part of our living freely. Mm -hmm. You know, so for me that means that what I do, I get to just just do it out of generosity and uh, means for the, the qualities of kindness, generosity, trust, that kind of thing, we, we live in that sphere. That is our, that's, that's our life. So uh, makes it so like uh, oh, so many things get to get put to rest in that. But this uh, kind of economy, we live in the economy of uh, mutual sharing and generosity and uh, trying to do what we can for, for one another, give, give and share what we can. It is entirely possible for renunciate monastics to go up into a forest and just live there by themselves and actually not engage. We're in the community and not asking for done. However, the Buddha spoke against that and he said that the monastics should go on Pindapat and should go out and and beg basically. No, not ask, not beg. Not, not but be available. Be available for yes. this. For the benefit of the giver. Not for our benefit but for your benefit, because the act of giving develops positive mind states. It makes you happy to give, makes your mind happy to remit to, in the act of the giving and in the act of remembering that gift later. To be available to give and receive. Mm -hmm. And the two are interlinked. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And in that, uh, same spirit. Uh, there are some books here from both Gil Fronsdale, IMC, okay. and um, some books from uh, Abayagiri, uh, Ajahn Passano, and uh, other uh, of the the bhikkhus, the male monastics, kind of in a in a. I'm not sure it's same lineage, similar similar lineage, but different. We're good friends. Sabai, sabai, yeah. <laughs> yes. Same, same, but different. Oh. And like relatives. <laughs> like relatives, exactly. Yeah. And so uh, there's some offerings there of some of the teachings of Ajahn Chah, and there's even a couple CDs, although actually there's only one CD because you're going to get one. And, um, <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. <laughs>
I want to tell you something funny. You know, the, the other group that meets here, uh -huh. one of the other groups that meet here, uh, meets here, heard about, heard about the topic of tonight's talk here, and then they, they asked to come back again. <laughs> 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 but I don't do can talks, so. <laughs> this is again, this is non-self. <laughs> this is like a karma and rebirth. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be different next time. <laughs> you can't do the same one over. Yeah. That's right. the same mm, never the same twice. <laughs> no. Okay, so I'm really looking forward to your metta meditation because I've heard great things about it. Oh, do we have time to do a full metta? I don't think so. I think we're over, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it depends on the energy of the group. I'm just trying to hold right. the structure. Okay, so <laughs> trying to hold, trying to hold the um, So let's just take Hurt, a poll. Hurting the coonies. It's yeah, yeah. Do you feel comfortable with staying an extra mm, ten minutes? We'll kind of. Just to do a real full heart practice. Yeah? <laughs> so just allow yourself to get comfortable. Allow the eyes to close. Bring awareness back into the body. Hopefully the mind never fully left the body. And then bring awareness back to the breath, just breathing naturally, but allowing the mind to settle back with the breath, breathing in, breathing out. Inhale, bringing that breath into the heart space, into the heart mind, allowing it to tap into your own inner goodness, your own nobility, kindness, and gentleness. If this feels hard to access in this moment, maybe call to your heart mind someone that's just so easy for you to love, to be kind to. Your heart just naturally says, of course. And allow those feelings to well within the heart space, reminding you that they were already there. Maybe even allowing those feelings of warmth and kindness and gentleness to even extend beyond the heart space into every cell of the body. feel it beyond the physical boundaries of the body. And the Buddha said you could search this whole world over, this whole universe. You would never find one being more worthy, more deserving of your loving kindness than yourself. So from your heart to your heart and for your heart, offering it these words or others if you already have a practice that feels more comfortable. May I be happy. 
May I be peaceful. May I be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. May I live this life with joy, with ease, and with well-being. May I awaken. <coughs> just as I wish to be happy, just as we wish to be happy, so do all living beings. So extending this wish from your heart to the heart of a benefactor, someone you have benefited from in some way, big or small. Maybe it's a wise guide, a teacher, a family member. Maybe it's someone that believed in you when you did not yet believe in yourself. They saw your inner goodness, your nobility. So even with great gratitude for those that you have benefited from, extending the same wish, may you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. And may you live this life with joy, with ease, and with well-being. May you awaken. Sending and sharing again to someone you have no pleasant or unpleasant feelings towards. Maybe it's someone here in this room that you do not yet love because you don't know them very well. Or maybe it's someone out in the everyday world that you see and you just have neutral feelings towards them. Maybe it's the barista at the coffee bar that you see in the hallways at work or school, cashier at the grocery store. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. May you live this life with joy, with ease, and with well-being. And may you too awaken.
and sharing again to someone that is difficult, someone that you've been holding out of your heart for some reason, maybe disappointment or heartbreak, resentment. Maybe it's not your most difficult person, but in this practice we omit no one living being, no matter who they may be. And honestly, our difficult people are often our best teachers. They show us where our heart is closed, where there's healing and work to be done. So maybe even offering some gratitude for this teacher who has shown you the work of the heart. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. And may you live this life with joy, with ease, and with well-being. And may you too awaken. And then extending again from your heart in all directions, starting with all the wonderful beings right here in this room who gathered together to practice, to cultivate wisdom and compassion. <coughs> Walk a path of peace. <coughs> and then outwards. to all of the beings of all lineages, all traditions, committed to cultivating wisdom, compassion, and peace. And to all of the Buddhists that send you this very same wish every day, and then even outward, all of those suffering in so many forms of poverty, health, wealth, love, connection. And to the war-torn regions of the world, to the oppressed and their oppressors. suffering from natural or man-made catastrophe, to all beings in any state of greed, hatred, or confusion, delusion, ignorance, omitting no one living being. May we be happy. May we be peaceful. 
May we be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. And may we all live this life, this precious life, with joy, with ease, and with well-being. May we all awaken. May any merit that has been gained by our effort, our practice, may it be dedicated in all directions, including ourselves, for the freedom of suffering for all beings. May we all be free. Thank you.